So we will be reading out of Judges chapter 21 tonight. And I'm going to read starting out of verse 1 of Judges 21. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel? That today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel. And the next day, the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives for those who are left? Since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives. And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has lain with a male, you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead four hundred young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Rimnon, and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women who they had saved alive of the woman of Jabesh-Gilead, but they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin, because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders in the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give the wives from our daughters, for the people of Israel had sworn, Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go then to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us. Because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, neither did you give them to him. Else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so, and took their wives according to their number from the dancers who they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and rebuilt the towns, and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
So as we now continue our look into the book of Judges, we are at the final chapter, the conclusion of a story that has spanned since chapter 19. And it's probably worth reminding ourselves where we've come from in this narrative, uh, which will help us to make sense a little bit of what's going on in chapter 21. But if you want to put this all under uh, a big heading or a big idea, uh, the main idea in chapter 21 is the fine print. The people of Israel are trying to get out of the law and obedience to God by coming up with loopholes that they think uh, gets them out of the obligation and helps them to circumnavigate some of the vows that they've made. But in order to understand the significance of all these things that are happening, we have to really just kind of pick up the story back in chapter 19. Remember, we have a Levite who uh, took his concubine, he traveled to a foreign land and stayed in, uh, in one of the Israelite cities. He actually opts to stay in this Israelite city as opposed to one of the Canaanite cities. And when he's staying in the city, uh, although he's generously uh, brought in and uh, hosted by uh, a man in the city, uh, the people of that city and the people of Gibeah come out against him and they demand that the, the person who is his host give him over so that they may lie with him. This is drawing to mind what happens in Genesis chapter 19. But this Levite uh, actually resolves to uh, not give himself to these men, but he actually throws his concubine, his, his, really his wife, a woman he should protect, out to these men. Uh, they, they take her, um, they abuse her all night long, uh, and she dies as a result of the attack. Then what he does is he sends her uh, body parts, he cuts her out into, into 12 different pieces, sends her to the various tribes of Israel, essentially as a declaration of outrage, and then assembles all the people, and the people of Israel decide something must be done about this wickedness. So Israel uh, gathers their men together, and they discern what should be done, and they uh, first offer Benjamin uh, an extradition. They say, if if you will give these wicked men of Gibeah over to us, we will punish them for their crime, and you will be spared. But Benjamin actually decides to uh, to bond with the, the men of Gibeah. So the Benjamites, who are only 26,000 strong, go up against Israel, who is 400,000 men strong. And they have this long, drawn-out three-day battle, this civil war that takes place. Day one and day two, Israel seeks the will of God, and they, they seek the will of the Lord. They lose the first day. They seek the will of the Lord. They lose the second day. Then they seek the will of the Lord uh, at the end of the second night. And on the third day, they have a, a massive victory. And this victory leads to essentially all but 600 of the Benjamites being put to death. And these 600 men are essentially holding out at Rimnon in this, in this little outcropping, the, the last of the Benjamites. And chapter 21 introduces us to a problem. So Benjamin has been reduced to 600 men. All of their cities have been committed to destruction. Verse 48 of chapter 20 says, The men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword, the city, men, and beasts, and all that they had found. And all the towns that they found, they set on fire. So, so all of the tribe of Benjamin is essentially wiped out. But not only that, the 600 men who are left have no opportunity of getting offspring into another generation because... The people of Israel have sworn, verse 1 of chapter 21, that none of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. Now, what's happening here is the people of Israel are treating the Benjamites like pagans. They're treating them like people of the land. They're committing the tribe to destruction, and they're saying, we won't marry our daughters, our daughters off to these 
men who are now to be considered pagans among us. They're no longer Israelites. They are uh, outsiders. And so we're going to treat them as such. Now, this oath could be sworn rashly. The text isn't quite clear on that. But what is clear is because of this oath, they're in quite a predicament. They cannot violate their own word. That's uh, an oath that they have sworn before the Lord. Uh, and but, the, but they're also sad about the condition that Benjamin is left in now that the judgment has taken place. Now that the war has happened and the battle has ceased, uh, the people, verse 2, come to Bethel and they sit there till evening before God. And they lift up their voices and they weep bitterly. And they cry out to the Lord, essentially asking him, why has this happened in Israel? You can, you can feel their angst, right? They've done what uh, they were told to do. They, they, they sought the will of God. They did what they were supposed to do. But nevertheless, there's a sorrow or this sadness over losing one of the 12 tribes. 600 men are left, but by and large, the tribe is wiped out. And they, they essentially actually consider them uh, to be gone. They say, uh, one tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives, for those who are left? Because we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives. And so this is a problem. Benjamin is not going to survive because, Israel, because of Israel's vow and because there's so few of them left. So this is a problem, and this is the problem introduced to us by the author of the text. And then we're told of two varying solutions that Israel comes up with to circumnavigate this problem. The first solution is given to us uh, in verse 8, and uh, it's the Israelites essentially coming up with a loophole, a way out of uh, the oath that they have sworn. Uh, they're reading the fine print. They're trying to figure out, is there a way we can get out of the commitment that we've made? So verse 8 is the first idea. What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah? And behold, no one had come up from the tribe of Jabesh-Gilead. So this group of people from Jabesh-Gilead did not come up to help fight against Benjamin in the war. And so the Israelites are saying, well, what we could do is we could destroy this tribe, Jabesh-Gilead, but we could spare their virgins and we could take their virgins and give them to daughters as daughters to the Benjamites. And so this is, this is the plan they decide to carry out. Verse 10, so the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword. Also the women and the little ones. This though is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has lain with a male, you shall devote to destruction. And they found then among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, 400 young virgins. So, they're creating a situation in which they found a loophole. They can't give wives from themselves to the Benjamites, but they can take virgins from the tribe of Jabesh Gilead because Jabesh Gilead should be punished, they, so they say, so is their rationale. And so what they're going to do is they're going to take the virgins from that tribe or this, this camp within the tribe, and they're going to commit it to destruction, but they're going to spare the virgins, and they're going to give the virgins to the Benjamites. And that's what we see take place. Verse 13, the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were uh, staying at the Rock of Rimnon. That's the 600 men that are there. And they gave them the woman who they had saved alive of the woman of Jabesh Gilead. But there were not enough of them, right? There's 600 men. That's what we're told uh, survived verse 47 of chapter 20. And now there's 200 men that still don't have wives. So uh, they, they need to come up with another solution, right? Because they've just destroyed this one camp. There's no more people there. They can't do this again. This is the only group that didn't show up, so this loophole is not going to work anymore. So now they're going to come up with a separate loophole. The second loophole 
uh, is found in verse 16 when they ask the same question, what shall we do for wives for those who are left? Verse 18, we cannot give them wives from our daughters. For the people of Israel had sworn, cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they, they can't give their own daughters. They can't go back on their word. And so they remember, though, that there's this situation that happens on a regular basis annually, the, the feast uh, that happens to the Lord at Shiloh. And they know about this feast, and they say, here's what's going to happen. We can't give our daughters to the Benjamites, but the Benjamites can take our daughters from us, and that's not violating the oath. That's that's a technicality. It's a loophole. They think, right? It's, it's actually a crime to steal or to kidnap someone against their will in Israel. But they're ignoring the larger law of God, and they're trying to get out of this pinch point that they found themselves in. So they found a loophole. Their oath says they can't give their daughters, but that does not mean that the daughters cannot be taken with some careful instruction and planning. So Israel actually tells the leaders of Benjamin, they say, wait till this feast, lie in wait on the road in which the people will travel. And when you see the women coming out, go and ambush them and take from them each man, his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and take them essentially back to your land. And if the fathers or brothers complain, you can tell them, don't worry, you're not guilty because you did not give them, they were taken from you. Otherwise, you would be guilty. And so the people of Benjamin do so, and they take their wives according to their number from the dancers who they carried off. And notice then the, the casual nature in which the this text kind of closes out. And essentially, Israel returns to business as usual. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and they rebuilt the towns and lived in them. That's the towns that have just recently been destroyed. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. So Israel feels as though they've resolved the situation. They feel that Benjamin is is preserved, uh, Benjamin is kept, uh, and we haven't violated our oath. And this is a, a sign of just how lost Israel has become. Israel is in no way paying attention to the law of God. But the author of Judges explains this to us. He says in verse 25, the very next verse, after this kind of casual summary statement, in those days, there was no king in Israel. This is the explanation. There is no king in Israel. So what happens? Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And part of what that entails is these loopholes, these things that seek to circumnavigate the law of God, circumnavigate the oath that is made through rather questionable acts of judgment. Right? If you think about what got Israel into this civil war to begin with, it was the abuse of a woman, the concubine of the Levite, uh, when she was put to death and she was, she was killed in Gibeah. And it was this thing, this abuse, this outrage in Israel that caused the civil war. And their solution on the other end of punishing Benjamin for defending these people is to advise Benjamin to kidnap 200 people from some other tribe, from the, from the women of Shiloh, as if that is somehow going to make up for the fact that Benjamin has no wives. So they're, they're abusing women. Once again, in, in, in part of their solution is doing what is right in their own eyes, not doing what is right in God's eyes. Notice in this whole text, absent, uh, it's a break-in pattern, absent is seeking the will of God to see what he would have them do before they go do it, right? Which is strange because all of chapter 20 uh, is them closely following the will of God, closely uh, seeking his will, and then going into battle following his will. 
and that doesn't work out for them twice, but on the third time it does work out. And then after the battle, shortly thereafter, chapter 21 takes place, and it seems that they've forgotten to sit and wait for the Lord to speak and tell them what to do. They, they go and they sacrifice, they go to the Lord, they go crying out to the Lord, but it doesn't tell us that they wait for a response. It actually tells us that they simply come up with a solution to this problem. And here you have them simply doing what they consider right in their own eyes. So uh, Israel, uh, which is, is uh, miserably disobedient to God, we've seen this kind of throughout the book of Judges, um, what is this What is this teaching us? What is the hope in chapter 21? Well, if you were to look at chapter 21 as a summary statement of chapter 19, 20, 21 in the book of Judges, and you look at this as kind of the concluding segment of the entire book of Judges, uh, one of the things you're, you're left with is this very sober assessment of the moral state of Israel. Why is Israel spared among all the other people groups of the Canaanites? What makes Israel so special that God makes them his people? Well, when you're done with the book of Judges, your conclusion is, well, it's not that they have particularly good leaders. It's not that they are particularly obedient. It's not that they are particularly loyal people. It's not that they are particularly holy. They're not the biggest group in the land. What sets Israel apart is God's affection that he has set on them and that he will continue to pursue them despite all of their chaos. Because what happens right after chapter 21 in the book of Judges is uh, you have the story of 1 Samuel, which tells us about God moving to institute his king in Israel. God uh, moving uh, to establish a king in Israel who can help guide these stubborn and often misguided people along. And this is this is the hope of Israel, that they will, they will have a king who will lead them. But it's not because they're seeking a king. It's not because they're seeking the will of God. And in fact, the conclusion we can land in is it's only based on God's mercy that Israel is spared as a people, that Israel has any kind of uh, success at all, right? We can't attribute their success or God's favor upon them to be in any way related to their obedience. It's actually in spite of all that we see about Israel that God chooses to spare them. We also see, once again, this, this reality of God's messy providence. He, he spares the tribe of Benjamin even as he punishes them. And that happens through the sin of the other tribes of Israel doing what ought not to be done. Committing other atrocities, other moral violations in order to try to get around their own oath-taking. So Judges is teaching us then not only about God setting his affection on Israel. That's really the only reason that they're God's people. Uh, is not because they're, they're higher than other people, but because God has set his affection on them. And the other thing it shows us is that uh, God has a mercy or a, or a kindness even in his punishment of the Benjamites, right? They're spared. They're, they're spared as a tribal group. That's something none of the other Canaanite groups can, can boast in. So um, these are the, the broad overview brushstrokes of chapter 21. This is the hope that we're left with in Judges is that um, God is a good God in spite of his people. And so as we move now into uh, a time of discussion, let me just uh, close in a word of prayer uh, before we get there. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you particularly for hard passages that cause us to question and to wrestle with uh, really weighty matters, uh, morality and, and goodness and, uh, and obedience, Lord. Uh, would you help us to have eyes to see uh, now what you have for us in your word? Would you help us to be sensitive to what lessons you might teach us through this uh, study. 
And would you help us to uh, even examine ourselves closely um, by means of uh, studying these words that we would uh, see how uh, we can learn and we can understand and we can grow uh, as a result of uh, feasting on your word. Would you just be with us now in our conversation? Amen.